Welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series created specifically for tourism operators. Talking Tourism, the expert series, is the ultimate resource for business owners who want to lift their skills to the next level. If you want to learn how to be a better tourism operator, listen on. Well, hello and welcome again to Talking Tourism, the podcast series especially for tourism operators and industry professionals. I'm Emma Azon-Giacometti and I'll be your host for today's episode. Talking Tourism is an initiative of Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. TICT is the peak industry body for the tourism industry in our beautiful state of Tasmania. If you're a regular listener to Talking Tourism, welcome back. And if you're a first-time listener and you do enjoy today's episode, remember you can grab one or more of 80 now Talking Tourism conversations, which are available from from wherever you access your podcasts, or you can jump on our website, www.tict.com.au and stream them from there. Now, I'm really excited to get stuck into today's conversation. We're talking to Joseph Burton, who's the owner of Joseph Burton Wines. Joseph, or JB, as most of us know you, how are you going? Hi, Emma. I'm well, thank you. Good. It's really good to have you here with us. I think it's um, exciting for me to be talking with someone who's not exactly on on what we often think of as the front line of the tourism industry, but someone who's uh, part of the the chain that, that makes the industry go round and work. So can you firstly tell us a little bit about you and your business, Joseph Burton Wines. Joseph Burton Wines is a wine wholesale, retail and events business uh, that I founded seven years ago last month. Awesome. Prior to that, I was a sommelier for almost 20 years. Uh, so I've really worked in wine um, for my entire adult life. Yeah, it sounds like you might know a little bit about it. Tell us more about what these these last seven years have been about in terms of your own business. Um, you mentioned wholesale and events. Can you go into a little bit more detail about the sorts of things that you do? Yeah, so I um, decided I didn't want to work in restaurants anymore in July of 2014, just because I'd done it for so long and um, I'd... Uh, I'd given it a good crack and they thought it was probably time for me to do something uh, more age appropriate as I was getting older and um, yeah, working in restaurants full time is for younger men than me. So um, I made the leap to start a wine wholesale distribution business with zero experience in what was without doubt an oversaturated market and I was incredibly naive and I learned lots of things the hard way. But I think if I had known what it was going to be like before I'd started, I never would have done mm. it. So I'm glad that I had that naivete and was able to forge a little bit of the market share. Um, and I mean, here we are still trading uh, seven years later. And so mostly it started as a wholesale distribution business, but um, was kind of the last two years where I found that there were other income streams or other revenue streams that I could take advantage of or mm-hmm. explore in uh, direct-to-consumer retail wine sales as well as um, events, you know, providing wine for weddings and other celebrations, private tastings, corporate tastings and um, champagne towers, which turned out to be a good little um, side business for yeah, me Yeah, it looks like it. We've just been scrolling through your Instagram and it looks like that's a, a big part of the business these days. People are really getting on board with the champagne tower, so they should. Um, no doubt there are plenty of people listening to this podcast who, like you, have learned a few lessons the hard way when they've jumped into a new business. Can you share some of the examples of the, the lessons that you learned and, and how tough it was starting out in a, an area that you had no experience in? 
there are a couple of things that stick out for me. One was um, just, I, I guess I thought of, I sort of thought that my experience working in restaurants would mean that um, people in restaurants and people that would I viewed as potential customers probably would have heard of me, mm. um, which which is probably driven by my ego and it didn't take me very long for me to realise that that was absolutely not true <laughs> and I was just another salesperson. Ouch. Um, and so, and it, look, that was really good uh, for me to learn that um, and it meant that I had to work really hard to, to bust my way into, um, you know, the wholesale wine world, and it was it was tough to mm-hmm. begin with. There was a lot of cold calling, lots of um, you know, in store tastings and things like that. And I look, I put myself in a position where I didn't have any any option but for it to work. I, yeah, I sort of I, I bet everything I had that this was going to succeed for me. I knew that I um, I knew that I understood wine sales. I didn't understand the peculiarities around the wholesale side of the business, but I did know about customer service, mm-hmm. and I knew about wine, and I and. And I've stuck to that. I've kept customer service at the core of my business mm. and it's starting to pay off. Yeah, awesome. So, yeah. This is good. You um, you just talked about some things being tough and, and I think it's a, a pretty usual story uh, within the hospitality and tourism industries as a whole at the moment. We're recording this in early August 2021 and our industry is still absolutely feeling the impacts of COVID-19 and uh, state 100%. border closures and lockdowns and all of that sort of business. And I think a lot of the time we are talking about it from, as I mentioned earlier, the frontline operators perspective. Perspective. So often in the tourism industry, we're talking about accommodation properties or experience providers, but less about the backbone. Um, you know, everyone needs to eat, everyone needs to, or certainly wants to drink as well. And there's a supply chain that has surely been impacted by uh, the the events of the last 18 months or so as well. How about yeah. you? How how has how has it impacted Joseph Burton Wines? It was really interesting. Um, you know, we were right there at the beginning in Tasmania. We were, you know, like um, the kind of the first to shut down or we, we shut down um, alongside other states right at the beginning, March, April of 2020. Mm. Um, and that meant all of the customers that I had, like the vast majority of the customers that I have are um, restaurants and bars. Mm. So I was something like 95% of my customers were on-premise as and 5% were uh you know, retailers who mm. bottle shops and the like. And so all, you know, 95% of my customers shut their doors overnight mm. um, with very little notice and we didn't really know what was going to happen. So I kind of thought, oh, well, you know, there seems to be some government subsidies uh, that are being talked about that we're hearing a little bit about, which later became JobKeeper and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, if worse comes to worse, I guess we'll shut down for a little while and, and do what, you know, the vast majority of other people are doing in the country and that'll be the case but i had as it turned out i had applied to make a slight change to my liquor license two years previously which allowed me to sell wine direct to consumers and that turned out to be a really really valuable change that i made because it meant that i was ready to go and i could open up that that sort of income um stream straight away and so just via social media and word of mouth I um, ended up doing lots of, um, you know, mixed dozens and direct-to-consumer mm. wine sales. Um, and then from there, we launched a project called The House Wine, where I sold lots of people three bottles of wine and did a live Facebook live tasting once a week. And I did that for 11 weeks from the 1st of April through till August, I think, somewhere. Um, yeah. And that turned out to be quite a, a successful and fun little project. So people would buy the three bottles of wine, we'd deliver them to them during the week, and then they'd log in on a Saturday night and 
watch uh, and I would talk about the wines and taste them and talk through them and then people could ask questions that we would answer um, by the comments in the Facebook lives and yeah it was good fun it was a very very steep learning curve mm. I, um, yeah but it was good fun yeah it, it kept things going for Joseph Burton Wines yeah, throughout that period because so there was no other there no restaurants open to buy wine so yeah was interesting. It was an interesting time. Yeah, I guess innovation was sort of and, and remains the name of the game in terms of the industry being able to react and respond to the changes that are happening um, still now, yeah. sort of 18 months down the track. How long did it take for you to be able to, for want of a better word, pivot into a new kind of, I mean, you had a new market at your disposal, no longer relying on any sort of tourism industry into the, the properties and, and venues that you were supplying, but now a pretty much exclusively intrastate market who had probably largely never heard of you before. How long did it take to make those changes and to start to see the impacts of them for yourself? The changes um, were, were pretty easy to um, to implement because I'm a one-man operation. So, mm-hmm. um, And look, throughout the last seven years, people have asked me why it is that I do all my own deliveries and why I take care of all the warehousing myself rather than outsourcing it to a third party. And certainly there's a compelling argument for doing that um, insofar as um, not having to do all the legwork myself. But that also turned out to be really valuable because I didn't have to rely on any third parties that could have slowed down the process to allow me to pivot during that time. So I had all the wine sitting there. All it meant was that I just had to find ways to um, market what we had. I've got a unique skill set as a sommelier Mm -hmm. um, and a friend of um, a former employee of mine said, hey, there's this, you know, there's a bottle shop that's doing these virtual wine tastings in the UK. This might be something that um, you could do, you know, through Joseph Burton Wines. And we, we jumped on it and... We were pretty quick. Like we got ahead of it, I think, before other people started doing similar things on the mainland. Yeah. And um, yeah, and we just look, it was, we were just really like there was a lot of luck that was involved. Um, so, like the pivoting, like the decision to do it, there was there were no barriers to us being able to you know change what we were doing. Mm. But um, what I was really really taken with, and what I was surprised, well, I don't know what what was really noticeable was the real sense of um, community that mm. came through all of that and people wanting to support local businesses rather than large national or multinational corporations. There was a real sense of people looking after people in their community and as a small family-owned one-person operation in Hobart, Tasmania, we were able to benefit from that. So it was, yeah, it was really heartening. Yeah, that's great. Um, the community support, yeah. You've, you've um, described that, uh, whether intentionally or not, in past tense, and, and I think you're probably referencing specifically that lockdown period. Is that a, a habit? Um, of the intrastate market that that you've now sort of taken as part of your own that you've seen continue now that things have returned to a semi kind of normal people are back at work you you still you now have your old market at your disposal as well are you still seeing that um, support of the local industry yeah I am yeah there's look I've got um I've got a number of private clients who you know typically they would be somebody who um, is probably time poor um, and isn't as price conscious um, and they want a very unique service which is a qualified certified sommelier making a selection of wine for them and then you know working within the budget that they give and then we deliver them to the house and and so we've got a number of clients who've continued to do that um, post post the 
COVID lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, yeah, so that's been really great. Um, and it, and it gives me the opportunity. It's like, that's a really personalized service. Um, and I get to know those customers and the kind of things that they like. And I've got fairly extensive kind of um, notes in their database yeah, cool. for all those customers, the things that they like. So I can, so I can work with that and we can continue to supply them with, with wines. And they probably wouldn't be able to get that kind of service from a big box retailer or, you know, a national wine club. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So with that in mind, with, with that sort of renewed support from a local market, is a really good, robust tourism industry still important to the viability of your business model? Yes, it will always be because um, the more tourists we have here, I mean, I think we, we see um, when tourists come, they spend they're more inclined to buy exclusively Tasmanian products. That's true, yeah. Um, and whereas um, you might see um, people who live here want to uh, drink outside of Tasmania, and, I mean, uh, and that also suits me because I sell wines from lots of other places mm-hmm. other than Tasmania as well as Tasmania. But, but yeah, it's, you know, we really, we rely very heavily on it. I mean, I, my business relies on hospitality and tourism businesses remaining viable, open and viable and, and profitable. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're all heavily reliant on um, interstate and international visitors. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Do, you, do you think there are any sort of key priorities for our industry, whether you or I can influence them at all? Um, but from your perspective as a supplier to our tourism industry, what do you think are the, the key priorities at, at this stage, August 2021, we've still got a few states in lockdown, um, border closures. What what are the next steps that you think we need to be taking? That's a tough one. Um, I think I think we're on the right path with sort of advertising or promoting Tasmania as a high end, you know, boutique kind of destination, and mm-hmm. it, and its products are the same. So I don't think there should ever be any um, any plan to um, try and compete. Um, with the sort of engine room end of any of the industries, the food and the wine, like I don't think we there's a place for Tasmanian products in that hyper competitive entry level or entry price point. What we do is, um, you know, super premium, ultra premium products, and we should continue to market them as such. It's a smaller segment of the market, but but the spend is is higher, and that, and that's where we belong. I mean, if you look yeah. at the amount of wine that Tasmania produces as a percentage of the the, the national production, it's minuscule, but. Mm. All of it, almost all of that we produce here is in the ultra premium category, and yeah. So anything we can do to continue to to promote it as such would be welcome. Yeah, and do you think that sort of personalised service, which you've referenced a couple of times from your own business model, including you keep a database with all of your clients' preferences and even scrolling through your social media, uh, Facebook posts, is is a, a call to action to contact you directly. Do you think that's a part of the the sort of secret to to our industry down here in Tassie as well? I think so. I mean. Uh, I sold wine in restaurants for a long time. It wasn't so much talking about wine as that sold people particular bottles of wine. It was stories and anecdotes mm. about wines that, you know. So I, my role as a sommelier was really a storyteller mm. uh, to connect the people who were going to potentially buy something to the stories that support and underpin the product that we're trying to sell them. And, yeah, I mean, wine is a, a very, very confusing um, and problematic subject for a lot of people it's um there's there's a lot of layers of pomp and ceremony and uh, misinformation and and elitism and all kinds of stuff yeah and it makes it all of those things 
push the accessibility further away. Yeah. A personalised service where you can remove a lot of that, not all of it, but a lot of it seems to yeah seems to have gone well for me, and it's good. I think it I think it helps that people know that you know they can get me on the phone or they can get me via email you know to talk about what they want to buy and i hope they they grow to trust my judgment you know and i i know what they like and i know how you know how much they want to be pushed out of their comfort zone if at all some people drink the same things all the time and i know exactly what they want but i've got other customers who who uh, are happy for me to you know say hey you like that it's not too far to move from this wine style to this, it's a little bit different, and and take them on a bit of an exploration. So yeah, cool. Yeah, and, and personal I think, service is yeah, it's a, a huge part of it. absolutely. And I think that's so key and, and a pearl of wisdom for for most, if not all, tourism industry operators is that we've got a story to tell here in Tasmania about um, everything that we love and we're proud of and that we want to share. And I think that's going to be a really important thing moving forward as well. Is is there an example of a story that you can tell us about maybe one of your favourite wines in your portfolio and something that you might be able to leverage to to bring someone into the, the space of trying something new? We've got a, I mean, there's a couple of brands that I work with that sort of spring to mind. Um, I mean, I sell the wines of um, Andrew Piri mm-hmm. at Apogee Tasmania, you know, internationally recognised, you know, for his work on vineyards and trellising and, you know, site selection. I mean, all of that stuff adds to the value of the inherent value of the bottle and that sells people, you know, because people, when they're buying wine, I guess they're saying, I've got this amount of money that I'm sort of prepared to bet on this being a good it's result true. for me. Yeah. Yeah, and I think often what customers do in restaurants is say, hey, I'm going to sort of make you my proxy and say, this is what I'm prepared to bet. Can you guide me to a safer bet and, you know, help me choose something that um, is more likely to satisfy me? That's kind of the role of the person who sells wine. Yes. Um, And so if you can, you know, if you can add credibility to the story of the wine, then it removes some of the variables to the people and they they feel like they've they've made a, a better choice. So. Yeah, so true. And I think, yeah, you've touched there on Andrew as well as where it comes from. And, you know, it's people and place that make Tasmania and our, our tourism industry so special. There's one other thing I used to always use, as you know, I've, I've sold wine in restaurants myself and animals always seem to really help. If the, if the vineyard that. has yeah. a dog yeah. and you know the <laughs> yeah. dog's name, that always yeah. seems to help. Hey, on that yeah, note, well, we, <laughs> that's right. We, um, we might move on to the, the last part of our podcast. I've, I've given you a bit of a heads up around the, the big seven questions. Thank you so much for um, your incredible insights into um, the industry from, from your perspective as a supplier. Now we're going to get into a little bit more fun. I hope you've given these a little bit of thought because they're very important questions, starting with number one, your favourite spot in Tasmania and why? Um, I thought a lot about this. There are lots of places that, um, you know, you could recommend tourists go and stuff, but I think probably the, the place that I would say would be Marawa on the, the northwest coast. Yeah, it's not somewhere that people often go to, mm. but um, yeah, there's something unique about standing on the beach there and just feeling the, the winds of the roaring 40s coming in straight off that you know, off the Indian Ocean. Amazing. Your face there. And the surf is incredible. Um, it's it's a really, really, truly wild place. Um, and, you know, we used to surf there when we were kids, when we were young and stupid and, you yeah. know, didn't worry about things. But, um, yeah, it's just I grew up on the northwest coast in Penguin and um, it's, uh, yeah, Marrow was a wild, wild place, truly wild. Oh, you wild. sold me. Yeah. I'll check it out. Awesome. What yeah. about anywhere in the world, your favourite travel destination? 
Oh, that's a that's a hard one. I um um I like I like being in the ocean. I like beach holidays more so than um, mountain ones. I think so. You know, somewhere tropical like the Maldives mm-hmm. would be nice. You know, I'd like to do some diving. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. What about if someone's coming to Tassie for the very first time in their lives? They ask you one thing that they absolutely must experience while they're here. Just one. What do you tell them? Oh, that's a tough one. It's um, so tough. It's, yeah, I don't know. I think, um, you know, probably a pint at somewhere down at Salamanca on the, on a Saturday, you know, Great. like at the Whaler. A so pint, be, yeah. you say, not Saturday, a glass of yeah. wine. Interesting. No, 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 a pint, I think, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah. cool. Well, in winter, certainly. Yeah, pint. sure. All right, I get it. Yeah. What about if you're walking the overland track? It takes five days, that one, and you're allowed to take I've three people with you. Awesome. Okay, well, you can tell us the people you did take with you <laughs> or um, ideally who you would, anyone in the world, famous or not, living or dead, oh, who are they? Uh, I haven't given this one too much thought, but um, uh, let me come back to that one, Emma. All right. We, we can leave it if you like. You can just continue to ponder on it and maybe our listeners can, can even sure. guess yeah. themselves. What about if you're road tripping? This seems a bit easier. Road tripping around Tassie, what are you listening to in the car? Me? Yeah. I'm listening to uh, late 80s and early 1990s um, hip-hop. Very good. Um, yeah, very uh, specific, uh, but probably also um, early Midnight Oil and, um, yeah, uh, mid-career Pink Floyd. Okay, wow, quite specific. We like that. Yeah. And when you yeah. get there, wherever you're going, what are you going to have to drink? What am I going to have to drink? I would have to say I would start with um, a decent bottle of Tasmanian sparkling wine. Very good. My favourite um, thing to drink, and yeah, dollar for dollar, you'll always get better wine if you drink um, handmade Tasmanian sparkling than big, famous name champagne. Um, yeah, good hot tip. Better. Do you want to be controversial enough to give us a specific Tasmanian sparkling that you'd pop? Um, look, there's look anything that's um, vintage dated and isn't from a large national corporation is usually a good bet. The others are fine as well, but um, for the you know. For a really, truly handmade bottle of fizz, yeah, look to a small vineyard that's uh, family-owned rather than being owned by a corporate uh, sort of conglomerate. Yeah, and you'll you'll find much better quality booze from those people. You played it safe there. I don't think anyone's nose will be out of joint, so well done. No. And the very last question, the big one, the big debate, curried Tasmanian scallops, are they a culinary delight or a culinary crime? Uh, I don't eat them, can't eat them myself, but um, when I could, I couldn't imagine ever eating them curried. Yeah, the thought repulses me. (laughs) So the allergy's probably a good thing. You never have to go there again. Excellent. Yeah, no, culinary crime. Good to um, know. If you can have them raw is the way to have them, I think. Oh, okay. All right. So shimmy scallops. Love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today, and thank you to our listeners for listening to today's episode of Talking Tourism. We were chatting with Joseph Burton from Joseph Burton Wines. Uh, Remember to subscribe so you can hear more episodes as we release them and tell a friend, tell a tourism colleague so they can check out our podcasts as well. Talking Tourism is an initiative of Tourism Industry Council Tasmania with thanks to Mac 40 Media and I'm your host Emma Azon Giacometti. We will catch up next time. You've been listening to Talking Tourism brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism.